0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. If you brought your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, which everyone has heard of the book of Jonah, but it's very difficult to find, even if you've been reading your Bible a while. So it's tucked in toward the back of the Old Testament between Obadiah and uh, like there's Malachi down there, Amen. All right, everyone's all set. Okay. So, for those of you that don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Clark Clemens. I oversee Res Kids, which is the children's ministry here uh, for kids kindergarten through sixth grade. And I did not choose the book of Jonah because it's typically seen as being a kid's book because it really isn't. The book of Jonah, when we start digging into it, it's it's amazing. It's it was even fun. Um, you know, I've read it a few times, but it was fun for me to try and uh, understand what exactly God was getting at when he was trying to teach us and the Israelites and us now what uh, what the gospel was all about. And so the way I'm going to teach it is um, I've got the next two weeks, so this week and next Wednesday. The book of Jonah has four chapters in it. So tonight, um, I'm, I'm believing we'll get to chapters one and two, and then three and four next week. So I would encourage you to to read read through the book, because the chapters are not very long um, as as they are. They're pretty short chapters, and there's only four of them. And it's an amazing story. It's like a made-for-TV script almost when you start looking at the drama and everything that's involved in it. So read that and get prepared for that. And um, we're going to have the the scriptures up on the screens, but you can also follow along um, in your Bible. Um, The other thing I wanted to tell you is that I didn't Become a Christian until I was 26 years old. Um, I grew up in a very good family, but I was thoroughly secular. So I looked down on Christians. I had never read the Bible before. I disdained, you know, really, I I was very uh, negative toward anything about the church or anybody that I knew was Christian. So I read the Bible for the first time at age 26. So what that means is, is I remember, because I was quite a bit older, I remember what it was like to read the Bible for the first time and to have a ton of questions, and to wonder why is this in the Bible, or why are these people talking about this, because I didn't understand a lot. So when I'm teaching, um, I'm going to be saying some things that are going to be geared toward people that maybe a lot of you probably are just starting to read the Bible yourselves, or maybe you're new to church. So I'm going to say some things that hopefully will be really helpful to you, because it was really helpful to me when, when you know, uh, back then when I was living in uh, New York City. And for those of you that have been Christians a long time, then look at it as, as review, okay? But I just want to make sure that, that people are here because you're hungry for the Word, hungry to dig into the Word, and, uh, and I want to do my, uh, my best to, to, to teach that. All right, so a couple, three, three other things I want to explain before we get into uh, the book itself. Um, This is a Bible study, so it's not a polished sermon. So it's a it's a Bible study. So I'm gonna dig in to uh, certain words and certain phrases and look at them, explain them, and put them together. And sometimes I'm gonna repeat myself in certain areas so that we can get a really good picture of, um, of this book and what God's trying to talk to us. So we're gonna drill down deep. So it's not, this is not a sermon like I would teach on a, on a Sunday or Pastor Duane would teach on a Saturday night or Sunday. Um, the other thing is, is uh, and this is for people that may not know, the, there, there's a lot of different versions of the Bible, So the the version, the Bible that I usually read at home and that when I'm teaching the kids is called the NIV, the New International Version. It's very easy to read. Um, It's been translated like most of our Bibles from the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek into English. Um, a lot of people will use the King James Version. That's got the these and the thou's. That's the old, uh, the old style formal type of, of English. Some people have New King James, which is just a, a more modern version of that. Tonight though, for the Bible study, I'm using my uh, Bible, it's called the ESV, the English Standard Version. Because it's not as smooth as maybe the NIV is in the English, but it's not as smooth because it's a word-for-word translation. So it's easier doing a Bible study for me to take this word and I do my research and find out, okay, what was this originally word uh, when it was written in Hebrew? What does it originally mean? So that's why I'm going to be using this version. So probably most of you don't have this version. Up on the screens, you'll see what I'm, I'm reading, okay? So that threw me off when I was first a Christian, because I got my Bible, and I'm reading, and the pastor up on the stage is reading, like, I'm like, this isn't the same thing. I, I was in a panic. Did I get the wrong Bible? That's what I thought. So um, the next thing is what we're going to do, the strategy is I'm going to read a chunk of verses, right, like verses one through seven. I'm going to read it all the way through, and then we're going to back up, and then I'm going to start pulling it apart. And then we're going to read another chunk and start pulling it apart. So that's kind of the, the strategy um, for, uh, for this, all right? So let's get started. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much that you have um, given us an opportunity to come here and to learn about your word, the Bible. We just thank you so much that you have given it to us as, as a way to show us how much you love us and you care for us and, and to learn from the people in the Bible to, to do what they do and sometimes to not do what they do, to learn by example, both good and bad. And we just thank you so much for that. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to do a really good job teaching, to not forget anything, and uh, help everyone here to do a really good job listening and learning. And we pray, Lord, more than anything, that we would be even more hungry to read your word and to get into it when we leave here and throughout the rest of the week because of our time here tonight. And we love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Jonah is famous as a kid story. People uh, like me that have never read the Bible, people that are atheists, they've heard of Jonah and the Usually it's whale, right? And most, of the, most Bible translations, that's actually really a big fish, a great fish. Jonah and the whale. It's like Samson and Delilah, or Dan, uh, Daniel and the lion's den, or David and Goliath. It's one of those famous stories, and a lot of people think that it's just for kids. But the book of Jonah is really all about the gospel. I mean, it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, which is crazy because it's in the middle of the Old Testament, And so one of the things I want to make sure that we learn from this is that all throughout the Bible, everything in the Bible is all about the cross. So in the Old Testament, from Genesis up to when Jesus walked the earth, everything in the Bible there is pointing us toward the cross. That one day there was a Savior that was going to come and die for our sins. And and so that we could have the forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God, So I have have a book at home that's called The Gospel in Genesis. And I have another one that's called The Gospel in the Old Testament. And so the gospel is about what Jesus did on the cross for us, which is New Testament, right? In, In a week and a half, we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, But that's all through the Old Testament. And then you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and it's all about the life of Christ, and then when he died, and then the rest of the Bible, the New Testament, the New Testament is pointing, I should go the other way, right? You guys are looking at me. So the Old Testament starts here and goes this way, and Christ, and then the New Testament from Revelation backwards to Acts, that's all pointing back. But look at Christ. Look at what he did on the cross. So it's all about the cross, about the Gospel, and that's what the book of Jonah is about. And the gospel, it's, just a, it's a Greek word for good news. The good news that even though we're sinners, even though we deserve to die for our sins, to be punished by God, that that's what we deserve, God loves us so much he had a different plan that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sins, but it would be put upon him. So the book of Isaiah says our sins were put upon Christ on the cross. And by his stripes, by his blood, by his death, we are healed. We are set free. We are forgiven. That's, that's the gospel. And that's what the book of Jonah is all about. It's about the gospel. And one man that's running away from delivering the gospel. Okay, Everyone knows it's a guy that got thrown overboard, swallowed by a big fish, and he lived through it but it's all about a guy who was very disobedient who was supposed to go tell a people that he did not want to tell about the love of God because he didn't think they deserved it. So that's what the book of Jonah is all about. So let's, let's go there right now. And uh, if you have your Bibles or if it's up on the screen, I'm gonna start at verse one and I'm gonna read through to verse six. Okay, verse one to six. All right, and Grant's got that, got that up there. Okay, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the sailors, they were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will will give a thought to us that we may not perish. All right, so that sets the scene of what's what's gonna come next, all right? So let's back up a little bit and start pulling this apart so we can understand um, what God's trying to speak to us here. First thing is, first one, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So Jonah, the name Jonah, he was a prophet. He was a, a man of God, Very, most likely very, very famous in Israel. His name meant two things. The name Jonah means dove, a dove like a bird, means dove and it means the son, like a, a father and a son, the son of faithfulness, a dove and the son of faithfulness. All right. So he, his name was talking about being faithful, but that's significant because then you look at verse 3. I don't know if that's up there. If you look at verse 3, it's God's told him to go someplace, go to Nineveh, but he goes the other way. He's not being very faithful. He's being very unfaithful. So a guy whose name is son of faithfulness is really should be called in this instance son of unfaithfulness. The second thing is, is his name is Dove. And, and a dove means, even today, it mean, it's a symbol for peace. So uh, um, even if you uh, look at United Nations kind of stuff where they're doing peacekeeping, a lot of times you'll see a symbol of a dove um, and a, or a dove with an olive branch in its, in its beak. Some, um, there's a flag in a um, Mediterranean country that's actually got that on it. Um, and that comes from the book of Genesis where Noah and his family were in the ark and they were waiting for the waters to recede. So Noah sent a dove to fly out the window to see if the waters were receding or, or you know, um, going away, um, receding, I'll use that word. And the dove came back. And so he knew, no, they, we can't, it's not safe for us to venture out yet. So a little while later, he sends the dove out again, and this time it comes back with a, an olive branch in its beak because it must have landed on a tree, an olive tree, and the waters went all the way down to the ground, so it had to come back. He sent it out a third time, and it never came back. So he knew that the flood was over, that, that we as a people that know and his family and the animals were at peace now with God. So dove is a sign of peace. But you have this guy that's supposed to go proclaim the gospel, the peace that God loves, even you Ninevites, but he doesn't do it. So this guy that's supposed to bring peace to a people, spiritually, and who's supposed to be faithful is doing the exact opposite, okay? And so, so again, this is, this is a place, not with uh, Jonah, but when I was first reading the Bible, this would always throw me, until I had explained to me. But I was reading the Bible and I'd come across people like, uh, like Noah, to use his name again. And I'm reading, 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 and he's awesome, he's great, I know what he did. I've heard this before. And then there's a part where he gets drunk and he does something he, sh- he shouldn't do. And then, and then I'm reading about Abraham, who I had heard, I knew he was a, a, um, a great man of God, but he lied a couple times. I mean, I'm reading about these people, I'm like, I, that really threw me because aren't these supposed to be people of God that love him? And the answer is, is yes, but they're just like you and I. Nobody is perfect. These guys are very imperfect in the Bible. Only Jesus was perfect and just like us. So when we're, when we're reading the Bible, just remember that, that really see yourself in these people. Because even when I'm reading Jonah, sometimes I can get mad at him. You're going you're gonna to see why. You can get mad at him, frustrated, but then it comes back to me. It's like, <clears throat> I'm very much like Jonah myself, how can I get mad at him when I'm doing the same thing or thinking the same thing, okay? So that's his name. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So his dad's name was Amittai, but I got nothing for you because he's nowhere else mentioned in the Bible. So we don't know anything about him. That was just his dad's name. But, the, but it says the word of the Lord came to him. <clears throat> that's significant. Jonah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all those other prophets whose whose, um, name, whose books are in the Old Testament, they were prophets of God, which meant God would speak to the man of God, the prophet, and then the prophet would go and speak to the people. So, so God would tell the prophets something that I want you to go and encourage the Israelites with this word, and they would go and proclaim it. Or I want you to go to the Jeremiah, I want you to go to the Israelites and tell them they're doing the opposite of what I want them to do, and, and the, the results are going to be um, devastating if they don't. And a lot of times the prophets were, were um, sometimes they were killed. A lot of times they were put in prison or thrown into a well and in one case, but they weren't treated always well because they were bringing God's word to the people. Sometimes it was awesome, and sometimes it was a rebuke. So now the word of God is coming to Jonah and God is saying to Jonah, I don't want you to go to the Israelites, to your people. I want you to go to a whole other people that, that, whose capital city is Nineveh. So he's being told something that's out of the ordinary for a prophet in Israel. So, he, so in verse two, so God says to, to Jonah, arise, right? Go up, that, that word is significant. We're gonna see it a few other times. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it. It means tell them that they need to repent. They need to seek me and ask me to forgive them and, 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 and I'll love them. That's, that's who I am. I'll do it if they do that, okay? But you call out against it for their evil. What they have done is come up before me. It's like God saying, I know what they're doing. Right? It's out in the open, I know it and you need to go rebuke them for that, okay? So um, let's talk about Nineveh a second, so he's saying, go arise to Nineveh. Um, Grant, can you put the map up? All right, you are gonna get maps and everything. You're gonna get graphics and... Okay, so this is, some people know maps, some people don't, but this, um, uh, this is, I've got my laser pointer here, okay? So right in here, can you guys see the red dot? Uh-huh. There. Okay, so right in here, this is Africa, all right? So you've got Egypt here and Libya, Algeria, Morocco. You have the Mediterranean Sea, and then Europe is up here. You can see France, Italy, Spain, okay? And then over here, really, really small, is Israel. So Jonah is in Israel, where the Israelites were. He's told to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is right where that, my hand's shaking, <laughs> that T above Baghdad. Can we see Baghdad, Iraq? That T is for the Tigris River. That's where Nineveh is. So this whole area was back then, about three, 3,000 to 4,000 years ago, was called Assyria, so today it's Syria, right? you got civil war, civil war right now in Syria. Well, in Syria and northern Iraq and Turkey, that whole big area was called Assyria. And the Assyrians were like the superpower in that that part of the world at the time of Jonah. And, and everybody was afraid of them. And they had done a lot of um, uh, just incredibly... Um, uh, I'm thinking of trying to words, mean, vile, awful things to the Israelites. They had, they had taken land, they had captured people, they had killed, they had executed. The Israelites were afraid of and hated and detested the Assyrians as everyone else did. And so Nineveh was the royal city. It was the capital of Assyria, all right? And so um, can you next picture, uh, Grant? With the next picture okay so that's a picture of what it um, looked like back then all right so it was a it was an amazing city huge city we're going to talk a lot more about it next week because it appears again in, in uh, Jonah chapter 4 next photo all right so this is what it looks like today so a lot of it is still there you could you you could go I'll tell you why you can't go but you could go see it as a tourist a few years ago and walk around a lot of the walls next picture And so here you're looking down on another area of the walls of Nineveh. Next one, Grant. And then this is a Google Earth photo. So what that is, is a photo of the city of Mosul, M-O-S-U-L, in northern Iraq. A lot of you have... Heard of it before, a lot of American troops have been there, Um, and that's a city of about a million people, and again, it's, it's northern Iraq. So right this square here is ancient Nineveh, so those are the walls. So in the middle of this huge city is still the ancient city of Nineveh, okay? The reason why you can't go there now is because ISIS controls the city, and ISIS has even started to destroy, as you may have heard, a lot of monuments and other things, both for um, Assyrian Christians, of which there were a lot, but many have been executed and killed or have fled and are part of the refugees that are now in other parts of the country. But, um, but ISIS is starting to destroy a lot of, uh, of uh, archaeological places like that, including in Nineveh. That whole area of northern Iraq is still to this day, excuse me, called Nineveh province. So it's ancient but it's still today, okay? And for me, it's important to see stuff like that because even when I'm teaching kids, I use maps and I use graphics because I want them to know that this is real stuff. These are real people. Um, I mean, it's 3,000 years ago, but he's just as real as we are sitting here today. Had real struggles. The Ninevites were the ISIS of their day, but I would say they're worse because they were a superpower. They were even more powerful with their armies, but they were doing the same things. So to me, it's crazy when I was doing this research to think that ISIS is in control of that area. So now, what I want you to understand is with that background, you can start to understand why Jonah would have a little bit of trepidation about going and speaking to the Ninevites. That would be like God talking to you, and maybe you lived in Israel, or you live here in Michigan, and God saying, arise, Josh, or Jason, (laughs) arise, And go to Nineveh, go to Mosul right now and speak to ISIS and tell them that what they're doing is crazy, awful and you need to stop. I mean, how many would sign up for that, okay? I mean, that's crazy, but that's, to me, that's a really good up-to-date example of what this is like, okay? But the the thing to understand is is that Jonah is disobeying God not because he's afraid. I'm sure there was some of that going on, but we're gonna find out, so I'm gonna give you a sneak peek. What he's really afraid of is He's afraid that the Ninevites are actually going to do what he tells them to do. They're actually going to repent. They're actually going to ask God to forgive, forgive them. And then, awful upon awful, God, knowing Jonah knows who God is, he just might do it. He just might forgive these people that have killed my people that we hate, that we look down, and I can't stomach that. All right, so that's what Jonah is saying. It would be like even us. So really think about it. I mean, some of you have seen the photos of what ISIS is doing to people, to, the, to their you know, heads and body parts and, burn, I mean, every sort of torture and, and, and maybe people even come in here and, and it's scary and it's awful, but, but does God love them? I mean, if they repented and asked for forgiveness and wanted a relationship with him, does the gospel apply to them too? I mean, does it? Think about it. That's, that's hard to think about, especially if your family has been killed or hurt or carted off by those people. That's a whole other question. So even though Jonah is being disobedient, and we can kind of look down on this a little bit, you got to understand where he's coming from, that we would struggle with the very same thing. But that's why this is all about the gospel. Who does God really love? Is it just a few people? Is it the, is it the Israelites? Is it you know, we, we grew up in America. Isn't it Americans? Or is it everybody? All right, that's what Jonah's all about. Okay, let's keep going. Um, where am I at? Verse three. Okay, but Jonah, so, so verse two. Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. Verse three. But Jonah rose, right? God told him, arise and go to Nineveh. Put the map back up again, Grant, please. But Jonah rose, uh, he said, arise, go to Nineveh, but, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So on the map here, here's Israel. Study my hand. Here's Israel, uh, Nineveh and Assyria is here. That's where he's supposed to go. Tarshish, um, when I'm studying, scholars say, was a city in Spain here. All right, you kind of get that just from looking at the map? He's told to go here, He's going from here to there. All right? Literally the opposite direction of God. He has disobeyed, he's turned his back. He's supposed to go this way, but he's going that way. Okay? And it's not by coincidence that I mean this is God's word the Bible. God puts things in here for a reason. It's not by coincidence that God said here, but then they're telling us he's going the opposite way. This is this is blatant disobedience of what God is telling a prophet, a man of God he's supposed to do. Okay? So, so the Bible says he, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So Tarshish is mentioned again. Emphasis. He's going the opposite direction. He's going down to ship to go in the opposite direction. And then it says, so he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. The opposite direction. If you didn't get it the first time, get it the second time. And if it's not doesn't take you twice, then it's going to be a third time. God is telling you, so you have no uh, no doubts that He is in in, in a total disregard of what I'm calling Him to do. Okay, so he so he um, so he rose to flee of Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Put the the, um, the photo up there, um, Joppa. Just just to give you another reference, um, Grant. I think it's the last three photos on there. Um. That's, this right here is uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. Tel Aviv is a, the largest city in Israel. It's, maybe looks like Miami. It's, you know, beautiful on the beaches, skyscrapers and apartments. This is Jaffa, uh in the Bible, Joppa. Today it's called Jaffa. Um, right here. All right, it's on the southern, it's a southern suburb of Tel Aviv. So next Next picture. All right, so this is Jaffa from the coast of what it looks like today. And then last, last one, I've got an aerial view. Um, it was a postcard, I think. And so this is a port. So it's probably the same, probably looks a little bit different, but the same port, right, where the guy Jonah got on a ship to flee God. So that's what Jaffa uh, Jaffa, Jaffa looks like, and that's, that's Tel Aviv. Again, real people, real places that you can still go to today. So he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord, that phrase, that's, that's a key phrase. It's in other parts of the Bible, okay? So, so uh, sometimes you hear, sometimes you may even say it, you know, I just, I love being at church because I feel like I'm in the presence of the Lord. Or I love worship. When, when Jonathan or Pastor Ken are, are leading worship, I, I feel like I'm in the presence of the Lord, all right? It's, it's a place where hopefully all of us want to be. Um, but Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, okay? And and the, the presence of the Lord, that phrase is used in other parts of the Bible. The first two mentions of it and the first mention, Pastor Duane has said this before when he teaches, the first mention of anything in the Bible is always a key. It, it's like sets, sets up a principle or a law that, that the rest of the Bible, when this is mentioned, kind of follows. So, it's, so the first two mentions of in the presence of the Lord are not good ones. First one, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God has given them everything. It's perfect paradise. He says, you can have everything, but don't touch from this tree, the fruit of that tree. And Eve does... And then Adam does, sin enters the picture, and they hid from the presence of the Lord. They were hiding themselves. is doing the same thing. He's trying to hide from the presence of the Lord. Did, did Adam and Eve, were they able to hide from the presence of the Lord? No, God was right there. Second mentioned is also in Genesis. Two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain murders, first murder in the Bible, murders his brother Abel. And the Bible tells us that Cain tried to hide, or he hid, from the presence of the Lord. But he didn't. God was, God was there, right? He, he said, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be responsible for my brother? He was trying to hide from God's presence. So what Jonah's doing is he's not in good company. right? He's trying to hide from the presence of the Lord, let alone thinking that you could actually do that. That's, that's even crazy to think about. So, so he, um, he rose and flew to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, to flee. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So uh, uh, one, more, one more thing and then I'm gonna move on. God is telling him, arise, go up and go to Nineveh, right? Listen to me, obey me, go up. But Jonah, it says, rose, but he went down to Joppa, down to a ship. He paid the fare, got onto the ship, and then later we're going to find out when he's on the ship he goes down into the deepest part of the ship and eventually he's thrown overboard and goes down the chapter 2 said down into the sea down into the belly of the whale so what the Bible is telling us is, when you obey God and you want to be in His in His presence imperfectly, no one is perfect, but you're you're hungry for Him, you're going to be in His presence. You're getting closer to Him, but if you're willingly walking away and turning your back and making decisions that you know are contrary to what God's Word says, and, and you're being disobedient to that, then you're gonna your life is gonna eventually unravel, and you're gonna go. You know the Bible's given us that picture: down and down and down and down and down. And some people live very charmed lives, even though they're totally, uh, you know, not even believing in God, but everybody will one day face God. And then you start having, there's a word that we're going to see in here called sheol, which is a Hebrew word for hell. So you get this picture now where he's going this way when God has called him up to a relationship with him, but he's going the opposite direction. Okay, so let's move on. So that, that ends verse, um, verse three and four. Where am I here? No, let's go to verse four. But the Lord, okay, but the Lord hurled, so he's on the ship now, he's gone on the ship. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So another repetition, there's a storm and a tempest. Another name for a storm, a bad storm. So this is a, this is a really, um, it's the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, So they're probably somewhere not too far off where you have all these immigrants that are coming from Turkey and they're trying to get to Greece. And it's in the same general area. And a lot of their ships are going down in storms. They're drowning. So this is a very real, even up-to-date thing. But these are sailors who know what they're doing. But this is a ship that, where they think they're going to go down because the Bible says it's about to break up. So this is a bad storm. Now, when I'm first reading this, I'm assuming... Because it says, the Lord hurled the storm. So this is a storm from the Lord. So I'm thinking this is punishment. So God's coming after him to punish him. But you find out, though, that God's coming after him because he still loves him. And he wants to get his attention. That sometimes the natural consequences that we make for ourselves because of our decisions cause things to happen and and there might be a storm but God can still be in that because he still loves you and is still trying to get your attention and wants you you to love him and have a heart for him. And he was doing that even with Jonah who's uh, being so disobedient with him. So he hurls, to to, hurl means to throw, not to throw up, to throw like a baseball, a pitcher can be a a hurler sometimes, you call him that. So he hurls this storm but it's, but it's uh, the fancy word is salvific. It's like for his, it's going to work for his salvation, which is it, one of my favorite verses. One of my first verses I learned as a new Christian was Romans, um, Romans chapter 8, 28. And in all things, God works together for good. In all things, God works together for good. For those who love him, for those, those who have been called according to his purpose. And Jonah was called He's not following the calling, but he's still called. He's still loved. He's still special. And God is coming after him. In all things, God can work things out. And that's not just here, but it's in your life. Because I know even sitting here, some of you are going through what you would say, this is a tempest, right? It's a, another word, the, the adjective of that is tempestuous, right? I got, some, I got a mess in my life. And maybe it's something you're going through or family's going through, but God is in there with it, with you. And he loves you and he cares for you. And in all things, no matter what you're going through, he is there. In all things, he can work it together for good because he loves you. He's called you. He has a plan and a purpose for you, just like Jonah. So so God does not abandon his people. All right, so verse 5. Verse 5. Then the mariners, the sailors, they were afraid. I don't know if any of you have been in the Navy, or James, I think James is in, he was in the Navy. If you've been in the Navy, most sailors are the furthest thing from being fearful people. So this is a bad, they're in a bad place. If sailors, these are probably, um, you know, salty, um, um, you know, uh, what be the word? I mean, they're used to being out on the sea. This is their life. Uh, it, it probably takes a lot to get them scared. But the mariners were afraid, and each of them cried out to his God. So each of them probably had a different God. They were pagans. But they're calling out to God and they hurled, there's that word again, God hurled the storm. So these guys, the sailors, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So they're throwing stuff overboard because they've got all this cargo on the ship and they're probably taking in water from the waves. So that thing is, is weighed down. So to lighten it up, they're throwing stuff overboard. That's another indication of how scared they were because these guys are probably not rich guys, but they're throwing their money overboard because they got to get this cargo, this this shipment of stuff to to some port, who knows where in Turkey or Greece or something, and then they're going to get paid. Well, they're losing all their money because they're throwing it overboard. That's how scared that they were of losing their lives, that they're like, if we don't do this, we're going to drown. I don't care how much money it costs, but I'm going to die, okay? And and, and, and who's on the ship with him? Jonah, right? But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So in the midst of the storm, when these people are afraid for their lives, he's sleeping. Now, at first, when I'm studying, again, when I'm looking at this, I'm assuming that he was sleeping, maybe because he had so much trust and faith in God that God's gonna get us out of this and and I know nothing's gonna happen. But when you look at the whole the whole four chapters of Jonah, that's not really where his heart was. His heart was more like, I don't care if I die, because I know I'm running from God anyways. And I think in his heart of hearts, we, we see in different places he probably knows he can't get away from God. He would rather die. In chapter four, he wants to die. So in here, he just doesn't care. But even more importantly is he doesn't care about the other people on board that ship. He serves the God we serve, right? The true God, the God of the Bible, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the, 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 the creator of, of history, of everything. He serves this God, and he's sleeping while people are dying, Well, pagans are doing what he should be doing. They're calling out to their fake gods. That's what Jonah should be doing to the real God, but he's asleep. And one of the things God's showing us in here is, is that us? Do we have people around us, even family members or people at work or even in our neighborhood that we need to be praying for them? We need to ask them, is there anything I can pray for you about and, 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 and show the love of Christ and share the gospel, just invite them to church, or, or do we not care? I mean, some of it's just being fearful and things like that, but there's an element, and, and I know this in my own heart, I'm speaking to myself, this was very convicting, what am I doing with this, or am I a lot like Jonah? I see this, I mean, I'm a pastor, that's really convicting, if I'm like, you know what, how much am I doing? You know, am I caring about my neighborhood or am I, you know, sleeping? Am I in the, in the ship sleeping while people are dying in their sins? Because that's what is doing, all right? So you get you get the picture. You got physical, uh, physical death looming here, but you also got a spiritual side of things. So he's fast asleep, verse six. So the captain, the captain of the ship, came down into the, sh- into the ship and said, what do you mean you sleeper? And I'm—I would guess he used a lot saltier language than that. It's been edited. God edited it for us. But I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, you know, ancient curse words in there. What are you doing, sleeping? And then this is the word. What is that word? Arise. What did God say to Noah, or to Jonah? Arise. God said to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh now. And he didn't listen. And now he's not listening again in the storm and God is speaking through a pagan unbeliever and shaming Jonah. This guy is coming down and saying the same thing God told him. This, this captain, arise, arise, Jonah, wake up, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, that's an interesting, remember this is word for word, but call, call, perhaps the God, whoever that God is, perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. So my question is, 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 is does, does, does Jonah's God, does our God, does he, does he give a rip about these guys? Does he really give a rip? That's like a, that's an important question or a statement. Perhaps he might, but you're not showing me anything. You're not showing me that, that you really care, so your God probably doesn't care either. Right? That's significant in the testimony of the witness that Jonah's giving to these, these pagans. But God does care about them. He cares about them, not just physically, but even more importantly than that, he cares about them spiritually, all right? So so he was sleeping. The captain came and and rebuked him. God spoke through the captain. And then verse seven, all right? Let me read read another chunk here, and then we'll go back. Um, Verse seven. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Why is this storm raging? So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? So now they're asking him questions up on deck. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your co- what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said, Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord right? Does he? <laughs> I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men, verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew, the sailors knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. There's the phrase, he was freeing from the presence of the Lord because Jonah had told them. He'd already told them that. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Like, what, what are we supposed to do now? You're the one that's caused this. You're running from God, and they're thinking, they're not seeing salvation in this. They're seeing punishment in this, right? Because they're, they're not believers, so they don't understand a, a loving, compassionate God that, that wants us to, to chase his people down and wants to have a relationship. They have no understanding of that, so they're thinking this is punitive, and, and they're saying, what are we supposed to do now? You caused this. Tell us what to do. And so this is what Jonah said. Where am I at here? Uh, Verse 11, they said to him, What shall we do to you now that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, so it was getting worse. He said to them, Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me. There we go, hurl, right? God hurled the storm. They were hurling stuff overboard. Now Jonah's telling the sailors, Hurl me, throw me overboard into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, all right, so that's the plan. They throw me overboard. And then the Bible says, nevertheless. So they're thinking, that's not a good plan. Okay, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Rode hard is like they're digging in. The, the Hebrew means they're digging into the, the sea. They want to get to land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous, there's the word again, more and more te- tempestuous against them. Therefore, they call out to the Lord. Okay, they call out to the Lord. The sailors right, before they were calling out to their gods, little g, plural, to their individual gods, all of a sudden, Jonah's talking about this other god, his god, and they're saying, this god caused this. So all of a sudden, it's like their hard hearts are starting to soften a bit, and they're saying, oh, Lord. So they're praying now. Jonah hasn't prayed yet. These pagans are praying. Now they've got the right god, right? Oh, Lord, let us not perish, for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So these guys that were fearing for their lives, that were losing all their money, they now had the solution to, to, uh, to their to being saved, but they wouldn't do it. They didn't want to kill a guy. I mean, these were pretty good guys. They're pagans, but they didn't want blood on their hands. They, they, they tried to get out of the storm. They tried to to row their way out. They tried everything they did not want to kill Jonah. I mean, these were good guys. And now they're starting to recognize that the real God is the one who they need to be praying, uh, praying to. The other thing that's significant about this that's, that's uh, really important, a couple things, is, is to show Jonah's heart. Why couldn't Jonah have said to them, this is the solution, right? He said, he said this is the solution, throw me overboard. But why couldn't he have said, you know what? I'm going to jump overboard. Why couldn't he have just jumped overboard? Why was he making them responsible for his death? I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not good. That's showing, again, that's showing his heart. He wasn't even taking responsibility for his own actions. He was asking them to do this deed that could be on their consciences for the rest of their lives, and that they were afraid, they were going to have to answer to the real God for. They don't want blood on their hands. That that's not showing a, a good heart. The other thing that you get out of this that's so important for all of us is that Jonah's decisions, his decisions to disobey God, were affecting other people. We don't know how many sailors there were. There, who knows? Five, 10 sailors. I don't know how big the, the ship was, but these guys were about to die. They've lost a ton of money, and they did, had nothing to do with this. They had nothing. to, It was Jonah's fault. Right? This, is, this is caused by him. And, and it, this is a, um, a lesson to all of us that our decisions matter not just to us but to a lot of other people that have nothing to do with us or that, that, that can't help it. And that, that, works, that works in a negative way and a positive way. In a, in a, in a negative way, the decisions I make as, as a husband, uh, if I make some really foolish, stupid, ungodly decisions, I could just absolutely destroy my 18-year- marriage and destroy my kids' hearts. right? I could And they, they did nothing. They would have done nothing but they're affected by it. because our decisions affect so many other people. At the same time, at the same time, my decisions as a husband in the good way, or positive way, they, that affects my kids and my wife and my marriage. I mean, I can, I, again, I'm not perfect, but I can bring blessing to my kids by the decisions I make, even when it's hard. It works, it works both ways. And what we learn in Jonah, what we're gonna learn in the next chapter is, even when, if some of you, or even me, when I've made bad decisions, or you've made it, even then, because of the gospel, because of what Christ did for us, to show my propaganda on the cross, we have the forgiveness of sins, that Christ paid for that, so that we don't have to sit here and feel guilty and condemned because we may have done something a few years ago or, or recently because we have the forgiveness of sins. And, and it's not just, you know, as we're gonna see for the Ninevites or these sailors or God coming to rescue Jonah, it's for us as well. The gospel is for us, for you and for me. And we have to remind ourselves of that. All right, so let's keep going here. I need to move a little bit quickly. All right, um, so verse... Uh, Where am I at? Verse seventeen. All right. Um, So verse seventeen. The Lord and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Okay. And the Bible usually says great fish. We don't know if it's a whale, fish. It's it's a great fish, big fish. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse uh, chapter two. Now at verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of his fish. Finally. Okay, he's been thrown overboard. He's gone down into the seas, down in the belly. So he's down, 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 down. Finally, his, he's got, God's got his attention. And, and we're going to find out he feels like he's entombed, he's imprisoned. Okay? Now, one thing I want to say, and then we're going to start wrapping this up. When, uh, again, going back to when I was first a Christian, when I was first a Christian, because I was so um, uh, negative or, um, toward, toward um, Christians and what I perceived as Christianity, um, there's a lot of things I thought were utterly ridiculous. And even when I had a radical conversion and was saved, I had a lot of questions. And some of them revolved around stuff like this. Like, like I mean, come on. A, a, a huge fish swallowing a guy for three days and he lives. I mean, that's a little bit... Uh, Pun, pun intended, hard to swallow, okay? I mean, it really is, if you think about it, right? And someone that doesn't believe or someone that's atheist thinks that's absolute myth. It's rubbish, it's not It's not true. So I wrestled with, um, and, and not just here, it's all through the Bible, there's supernatural things that happen and, you, and I wrestled with this. And some people do. So let me, and I'm sure there are people here in the, same, in the same way. Maybe you're a newer Christian. Maybe you're not even a believer yet and you're just kind of like, that stuff is, I, I just can't believe it. Okay, so let me throw a few things out to you. It may not be like exactly what you need, but for me, it enabled me to wrestle through this and to think through this. So three things. One was, is if you believe, like I do, that what the Bible says is true, that God, Genesis 1:1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created Everything. If, if I believe that, which I do, if you believe that, then that he created the mountains, the oceans, he created animals, he created us. I mean, just even looking at your hand, he, he did everything. Then for that same God to orchestrate um, a salvation for Jonah and, and wanting to eventually save a whole city, then it's, it's nothing to think that God could have a fish, a huge fish, swallow some guy for a few days and the guy lived through it, okay? So that's one thing I want you to think about. Second thing is, is that um, really, when you think about it, a fish swallowing a guy is not the craziest thing in the Bible, all right? There's a lot of other crazier things. And, I, and the craziest thing in the Bible goes back to this, right? It goes back to the death of a man on the cross who died historically, factually died and was put in a tomb. And a couple days later, he was alive. He rose, right? Think about it. I'd, I'd never thought about that before, but that's, that's crazy. If you believe that, then you can believe other stuff in the Bible easily and you need to start with that. Because if, if, if Jonah's gonna trip you up then you're probably not gonna believe that Jesus really actually did die for us, right? That he, he died for our sins. And that is what, what Christianity is all about. There's nothing without the cross. But if you believe that that actually happened, then everything else in the Bible falls into place and, and makes sense, okay? Because there's so many other places in the Bible, But but if you're struggling with that, start with this. This is what you need to struggle with. And then if you believe that, then start praying and working through these other things and these other questions, okay? And then the last thing I would say is this. Jesus himself, Jesus himself believed this story. Okay, so Grant, can you put up the verse from Matthew chapter 12? Uh, Matthew 12, verse 40 to 41. So this is Jesus, and he's teaching people, okay, in the New Testament, and he says this, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, which is him himself, Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Meaning, he, he, just as Jonah has basically died inside this fish, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die, I'm dying on the cross, okay? The men of Nineveh, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. We're going to learn more about that next week. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, someone, something greater than Jonah is here. He was saying, I'm greater than Jonah. But what he was saying for, for what I'm talking about is, Jesus is saying, saying, that was true. That was true, and what I'm going to do is true. Jonah died, right, and, and I died. And I rose again, just like Jonah came back up on the beat. He rose I rose again, and I'm greater than that. It makes no sense for Jesus to say, you know, you guys know that story about Jonah to his disciples. You know that story? It's it's myth, right? He he was he died, but you know, it's kind of ridiculous. But my story is true. I'm actually gonna die. That doesn't that doesn't make sense. Why would he even say that? That that's a myth, and then he compares it to him, but his is true. Or, or is he saying, you know, that's a myth, and I'm telling you this nice thing, but really, my, what I'm gonna do is a myth too? No, that's true, and just as that's true, it's true what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna die also, okay? So he's thrown overboard, and let's finish up here. I'm gonna finish these verses up and, and wrap this up. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, like hell, I cried, and you heard my voice. When he was at his deepest, deepest, darkest place, which, which many of us have been before, he called out to God and God heard him. Do that. If you're there, do that. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet... I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me and to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds—here's a kind of an interesting uh, uh, tidbit of fact, right? Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. So not on, I'm not on a hilltop. I'm down at the bottom in the valley at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me like a like a prison. Yet you brought my life from the pit, right? But you rescued me. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered you and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols, fake idols, forsake. They leave behind the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. All right, that's where we're gonna end and then we're gonna take it up at, verse, uh, at chapter three next week, okay? But this is how, this is how I really wanna end because I, I wanna pray. And this, this is, you know, to me, studying the Bible and digging deep into it is, is totally practical. And hopefully I've been able to uh, apply some things in the midst of teaching to our lives because I was doing that with my own as I was studying. But the one thing I wanna, there's a lot in there, but the one thing I wanted to focus on is, is and, and challenge you is, is there something that God has been speaking to you like he was speaking to Jonah, and you're running from it. I want to challenge you. Think, think about it now, and, and I'm going to say a few things. We're going to pray, but really get alone with God this week. This, especially, I mean, Easter's coming up. Really, like, think about, meditate, right? Think about the cross and, and the gospel and Jonah and read it in your own life. Are you running from something that God is calling you to do? Maybe it's maybe it's a mission that you feel like he's placed upon your heart. You know, it's it's something you're, you're supposed to go and do that could be really cool, but maybe really scary or really uh, potentially dangerous. Could be a new you know a new job. Whatever work you do, that's your mission place. God's called you, and that's your flock. That's like your ship with your sailors right there. Is God calling you to something, and are you fearful of that, or are you willingly disobeying that, right? Think about that. Is, is God calling you, and this is when I was praying, um, so this is maybe a little more specific, is I believe there's people here that God's calling you away from certain people you're hanging out with or certain friends that you have. Not that they're awful and evil, but they're dragging you down or they're dragging you away from your relationship with Christ. And you need to think about making a tough decision and you know God's calling you to do that, but you're kind of running away from that. Is is that you? Or a third thing is, is God calling you to do something really potentially difficult and painful like going to somebody and asking them to forgive you for something that you've done to them? Maybe you've wronged somebody or hurt somebody recently or a long time ago, and that just, I mean, you know you got to do it. You, you know it's the right thing to do, but you know how painful something like that is, but how freeing it can be because when God sends you to do something, he equips you. Right? He told Jonah to go to a dangerous place. As we find out, jonah nothing happened to him. He was, he was, God protected him. God protects you and provides for you when he calls you to do something, even when it's difficult, even if it's having to ask someone to forgive you. So if, if that's you, if that's any, and it could be not just those three things, but anything, then I'd like you to just slip your hand up in the air just so we can acknowledge it. But it's more a way of you saying, you know what, I'm going to put my foot down and I'm going to say, I'm going to change. I'm going to do what, I, what it takes. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to press in. And we just want to start that off right here and pray with you. All right if it's, if that's you uh, uh, for anything anything you might be thinking god's saying I-, I want you to do this but you're a little nervous or you're you're kind of running away just slip your hand up in the air for a second where we can see it okay awesome anybody else cool Okay, you can put your hands down. So let me let me pray, and then all of us are going to agree agree with me in prayer for all of you that raised your hands, okay? All right, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much that you give us your word, the Bible, so that we can learn how much you love us and how you care for us and how you how you work with even difficult people like Jonah and difficult people like us. And Lord, we pray, we come here this, this evening and pray for all of those who raised their hands. We pray, Lord, that you would give them clarity about what you're calling them to do. You would give them the power, Lord, to do that, to walk that out. Even though they may be fearful, we know that your Holy Spirit will touch them and overflow in them, giving them what they need to do what you're calling them to do. We pray that you would be a wall of protection around about them as they're doing what they're doing, and we thank you that they are going to be such a blessing. They're going to have newfound freedom and excitement and, Lord, they are going to arise and have that amazing relationship with you because a wall has come down. We pray that you would destroy that wall in their lives, Lord. We pray that you would take it down, that your Holy Spirit would, would just do an amazing work in themselves, in their families, in their relationships, in what you're calling them to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.